We are looking at the moment at this series on um, When I Survey. And last week, I looked at what uh, St. Paul had to say about the cross. And this week, I'm going to look at um, what Jesus himself had to say about the cross. So we've got some passages at the end of our rows, and if you could please pass those along, uh, that would be most helpful. Um, And we're going to read together from Mark's Gospel, Mark chapter 8, beginning at verse 29. But what about you, Jesus asked? Who do you say I am? And Peter answered, you are the Messiah. And Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed, and after three days, rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. For what good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul. We've just read some of the most famous sayings of Jesus. But I'm going to preach from just one word. There are 196 words in this passage, but I'm narrowing it down to just one word. No, it's, it's not because I'm being monumentally lazy. It's one word that's only uh, four letters long, yet it defines the strength of what Jesus has to say in this passage. It's hugely significant in this passage, it's hugely significant in the course of human history, and it's hugely significant in your life and in my life. It's the word must. It's a word that we hear often, don't we? Marketers sell us must-have items. Uh, Hamilton is the must-see musical of the moment. Uh, You must tax your car, you must tidy your room, you must brush your teeth, you must, you must, you must. No quibbling, no negotiation. Must is essential. But the first must in this passage is not Jesus telling his followers what they have to do, but it's actually Jesus saying what he has to do. In verse 31, Jesus tells his followers that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. And Mark writes that Jesus spoke plainly about these things. So we also must speak plainly about them too. Jesus must die. He is on his way to Jerusalem. Jesus is a man on a mission. And at the, at the beginning of our passage, he asks his disciples, who do you say I am? 
And Peter replies, you are the Messiah, you are the Christ. If Jesus was just a, a good moral teacher, just a, a spiritual guru, a, a philosopher, then, then why must he, he die? Well, we see here that he is the anointed one, the Messiah. And for the very first time in, in the history of the world, the, the Jewish people are recognizing that the prophecies about the, the suffering servant and uh, the Messiah are actually the, the one and the same person. Prophecies foretold that he would be despised and rejected, such as what we see in, in Isaiah 53. Jesus must die because the, the wages of sin, of all the bad stuff, all the, the ways that we fall short, the wages of sin is death. And God is a God of love. And if his love means anything at all, it means that he doesn't turn a blind eye to the way that you and I fall short, to the way that you and I cause damage to, to ourselves and to those around us. No sin is too small to need forgiveness, but no sin is too great to be forgiven. The price has to be paid, either by the perpetrator or by the one who is forgiving. It costs, and so Jesus must die. His, his death is necessary for your life and for my life. And he must rise again, arisen to prove that he holds the, the keys to eternal life, that he has made a way through death. Why must all this happen? Love. The theologian William Vanston uh, wrote a book called The Phenomenology of Love. And he wrote that there's, there's such thing as, as false love and true love. False love and true love. And he says that in, in false love, the aim is to, to use the other person to fulfill your happiness. Your love is conditional. Uh, you give that love only as long as that person is affirming you and meeting your needs. And it's non-vulnerable. You hold yourself back so you can cut your losses if necessary. But in true love, true love is very different. True love is, is where the aim is to spend yourself for the other person. Because your greatest joy is their joy. It's unconditional. You give it regardless of whether you get anything in return. And it's radically vulnerable. You spend everything. You hold nothing back. You give it all away. And this is the love that God has for each person in this room. Why did God create us and later redeem us at great cost to him, even though he doesn't need us? It's because he loves us. This is perfect love. This is real love. This is radically vulnerable love. And Jesus is saying that the, the only way that I can forgive the sins of the human race is to suffer. Either I will have to pay the price or you will. So Jesus must die. 
But then there's another must in this passage. There's another imperative. In verse 34, Jesus says that those who would come after him must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow him. And just as there's a danger in trying to water down the necessity of of what Jesus did on the cross, there's also a danger in trying to minimize what we have to do as well. We scoot over suffering. I was... um, working on a, on a large church event. And uh, as we were packing up from the church event, uh, I came across this rather large white cross. And uh, as you can see, there I am holding it. And it's, it's wrapped in bubble wrap. And uh, somebody took a photo of me, of course. And uh, I posted it on Instagram with the caption, taking up my cross, hashtag discipleship. And, um, yeah, people, people, were, people were very quick to point out that uh, the cross doesn't come in bubble wrap, does it? Carrying a cross isn't just being on a clergy conference on a Saturday when England are playing Ireland in the rugby. <laughs> Denying yourself and carrying a cross is not just giving up sugar or coffee for Lent. Carrying a cross isn't just carrying burdens or even, even repenting from sins. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who went on to, to be a, a martyr, he said that the only reason you take up a cross is to die on it. And so while it's true that Jesus died in order that we might live, it's also true that Jesus died in order that we might die too. That we might follow him to the cross and die to ourselves. See, the world says that death comes after life. But Jesus says that life comes after death. We've been hearing from uh, Jago quite a bit recently on, on life to the full. And this is what Jesus has come to offer each person here. Life to the full is what I want for my life and I also imagine it's what you want for your life too. And they say that our fears are all ultimately rooted in a fear of death. But what's the worst that can happen to you? Death will only put you into the arms of your Savior and make you all that you hoped and dreamed to be. I was so moved a few weeks ago when I heard that uh, the evangelist Billy Graham had died. And as the the notification popped up on my screen, uh, I was overcome with emotion. And the emotion wasn't sadness, but it was joy. I mean, can you imagine Billy Graham and Jesus meeting face to face? Can you imagine that the millions of people in heaven who are there as a result of hearing about Jesus through Billy Graham? This unrelenting hope. Do you know this hope? Do you know this hope deep down in your soul? 
when death loses its sting, when death no longer has power over you because of what Jesus has done on the cross, you will live a life not of fear, but of love. In verse 35, when, when Jesus talks about losing your life to save it, the, the word for life here is the word psyche. Psyche, it's, it's the word that we, we get uh, psychology from. Your identity, your personality, yourself. What makes you distinct? What makes you, you? And just as at the beginning of this passage, we, we learned about Jesus' identity, we also go on to learn about our identity too. And Jesus is saying, don't build your identity on worldly things. I, I was recently um, so sad to read a, a major profile uh, interview in one of the weekend papers, in one of the magazines. And it was about a musician. And, and the whole point of the article, that the headline, that the whole article, the way it began, the way it end, ended, it was all about the fact that this musician is someone who, come rain, hail, or shine, uh, just keeps up the show. They put on a brave face. And it's so difficult to know what's really going on with them. But it also must be just so exhausting. But we do this as well, don't we? We put on a brave face. We build our lives on family, on relationships, on our career, on our reputation, on our status. We, we might not be on a literal stage, but these things are, are performance-based. They're achievement-driven. And those things can fall apart in an instant. Jesus is saying, don't base your life on these things. But it's also, by the same token, not, not the case of, of saying, well, I'm a good person who goes to church every Sunday. That's just taking your identity from one performance-based identity to another. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. You need a radical new way. I'm offering you here a radical new way of building your life, of building your identity. Base your identity on me. Base your identity on the gospel, on the good news of salvation for everyone. And I love that this is not an abstract God. We base our identity on Jesus and the good news that he has for each one of us. We began with Jesus' identity and we see that Jesus loses his identity so that we might have one. That he became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. And so your life and my life is no longer based on whether somebody loves you or whether you've lost weight or whether your bank account is growing. You're free. The old approach to identity is gone. Define yourself first and foremost as somebody who is radically loved by God. And you will radically offer your life to Jesus to the extent 
that you get that Jesus has radically given his life to you. Taking up your cross is not a trite Christian platitude. It's something much, much deeper. It's about your very identity in God. And so you take up the cross as your new identity in Jesus. The cross is God's vision for your life, and it's God's vision for my life. And Jesus might lead you across the world to do amazing things for him. He, he might do that. But we also know that Jesus is calling people to follow him all the way to the cross here in London, too. To not value their reputation, not value their career, not value their status, not value anything other than who they are in Jesus. Uh, earlier in the week, I was um, sat having supper with uh, a couple of people from, from HTC. And as I left uh, supper, I thought the one thing that just um, stayed with me was that these were people who, who really knew who they are. They, they really got that their identity was in Jesus. And, and yes, they have really respectable jobs. And that's, that's what they do during the week. But far more important than that was their why. It's why they do what they do. And they're so clear on, on who they are and they're so clear that they're doing what they do because of the gospel. Because they want to spend their life for Jesus. They want to see his transformation. They want to see people coming to know him. And when you know who you are it affects everything you become free your life is no longer just about you but all of a sudden your life expands and and you begin to see God at work in the everyday through your life is your life distinct is your life distinctly structured and energized by Jesus and the gospel our world is built on self-preservation, on finding yourself, on the selfie. But you only become fully you when you surrender to Jesus. I'm most like Jamie when Jesus is in the driving seat of my life. Jesus and his good news are big enough to take the full weight of every aspect of your life. At the end of his, his extraordinary book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis wrote this. Submit with every fiber of your being and you will find eternal life. Keep back nothing. Nothing that you have not given away will be really yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin and decay. But look for Christ and you will find him and with him everything else thrown in. This time of, of Lent 
is not really about self-improvement. It's not even about self-preservation. It's about opening up your life to an eternal vision for your life and staking everything on that. It's putting your trust in Jesus, that he has a much, much grander vision for your life than what you can see in front of you. In verse 33, Jesus says that um, God's concerns are greater than our concerns. And then in verse 36, he says, what is the point of gaining the world if we lose our soul? The real danger in life is not a failure, but it's succeeding at things that don't really matter. The pursuit of health, wealth, and happiness will in and of itself ruin you. But so will following Jesus Christ. And if I'm going to be ruined, if I'm going to spend my life, I want it to be ruined for something that can't be taken away from me, from eternal life with Jesus and the good news of his grace, of his mercy for everybody around me that needs it just as much as I do. Do you believe that the cost is worth it? Do you believe that the cost is worth it? Jesus says must. When Jesus says that those who uh, would follow him must take up their cross and deny themselves, this is not an add-on extra. This is not for the super-duper keen Christians. This is part of the, the basic plan of Jesus. Death isn't optional. Only what it means for us. It's not just about counting the cost, but we know that our lives cost something, so it's making the cost count. You only get one life. Spend your life for Jesus and for the gospel. You and I must make a choice. Do not put off making the choice to follow the way of the cross and the way of Jesus this Lent. Amen.